Ruth chapter 1, in your Bibles this evening, Ruth chapter 1, there's been this guessing game going on after the morning service and before the evening service, which of my children I was referring to this morning. The one that the others all appealed to, to come and ask, I'll not name the guilty, but uh, she, <laughs> is the older of the two who still live at home. And I'm very grateful for each of the children and uh, the blessing that they are and how God has worked in all of our lives uh, over the last uh, several years in particular. And uh, what... Isn't it wonderful that because of the grace of God that we can look to the future and say the best days are ahead? The best days are ahead. And there's something of that in the chapter before us, even as we think about Naomi and her coming home. Uh, I'm going to make a confession to you, and that is that uh, I had worked all week long on a message entitled Coming Home. In the grace of God in our coming home, uh, when we are away from the Lord and the grace of God that draws us, uh, that directs us and brings us back from Moab, our Moabs, to our Bethlehem Judas, uh, to bring us back to the house of bread and praise, uh, and four steps that access the grace of God. I'm even going to, I even had a really good outline <laughs> It begins with hearing what God is doing. You see that in uh, verse number 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Why? For she had heard. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So she began, it began with hearing. She heard what God was doing, how he was acting according to his word. And uh, she then took a step. Also, notice this, she had heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. The rich dainties of Moab lost their taste when she began to realize and hear that bread, even if it was just plain everyday bread, had been restored. Better to eat the bread of Bethlehem Judah than the dainties of Moab. Okay. But a third step that she took to access the grace of God in coming home, hearing, hungering, and that is this, that uh, she just got up and headed home. Notice, if you would, what the scripture says, verse number 7, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. Let me just say this. When a person's away from God, there is always a way home. But it takes a conscious step to hear what God can do, hear how He acts according to His word, to hunger after the provision of God, and then to get up and head home. The Father is always on the porch. Amen. He's always on the porch watching for the prodigal to come home. I think about some of you have prodigals. Let me just remind you tonight, stay on the porch. Stay on the porch. Because one of these days when their head crests over the horizon, uh, they're going to need you to run to meet them. Okay. But then uh, another step, is that or Naomi, pardon me, had to humble herself to receive help. She didn't do as good a job at that. 
when it came to the help of Ruth in her life. And uh, we'll maybe look at this in more detail in coming weeks. But as I was finalizing preparation this afternoon, I just, as I was praying about it, I hit a wall. And um, I know some of you have taught before, preached, you can empathize with that. And if I would have preached that message, I would have been miserable and you would have been miserable watching me be miserable. I remember hearing a, a mentor of mine from Bible college years ago say that he always hated it when he got up and started into a message. And our, now our separate Baptist forefathers in the late 17, early 1800s, if that happened, they just sat down. If they got partway through a message or started into it and didn't feel like God was blessing it, they just sat down. That would shock most churches if the pastor just said, folks... This ain't working, and just sit down, okay? Uh, But all that to say, I just dropped my head right there in the seat by the bed, and I said, Lord, I don't know what it is you want to do tonight, but uh, I I want to preach what you want me to preach tonight, okay? And it's very simple, and and it's, it's to the point. And we have no trouble admitting that one of Naomi's greatest problems was her bitterness, I remember for years having hearing Dr. Comfort say, bitterness, or pardon me, adultery has slain its thousands, but bitterness has slain its tens of thousands. And so my simple proposition tonight is this, as we look at Naomi and just a few thoughts from her life and the consequences of tolerating bitterness in her life is this, avoid bitterness like the plague. Avoid it like the plague. And, uh, you know, I've got, uh, how many of you have poplar trees in your yard? You ever notice you cut a poplar tree? There are other trees like this. You cut that poplar tree down, down to the stump. You think you got everything. And what do you notice next spring? These little shoots coming up the side of the poplar stump. And bitterness is like that. You can think you've got it dealt with and cut off. And, boy, something will trigger that offense that you thought you had dealt with, and it will come back, and you've got to deal with it fresh and new. Okay? And so I'm saying to us tonight, avoid bitterness like the plague. Adultery has slain its thousands, but bitterness its tens of thousands. I remember several years ago, right at the beginning of COVID. Aren't you glad we can say several years ago and talk about it more in the past? Amen? Okay. We had had enough of the shutdown and the shelter in place. We decided we were going to take a hike to Little Bradley Falls up off the uh, Holbert's Cove Road on the other side from Saluda, the other side of 26. And uh, we were thinking, man, we're out in the, the nature, God's nature, few people around, got a walking stick, there's a clear wide trail. We're not bringing masks. And uh, so we started on our hike, and on that trail, we... Uh, met some folks who, as they saw us approaching, (laughs) started frantically digging in their pockets and backpacks for their masks as they approached us and got them out. And boy, they're putting them on like this. And I'm thinking, these people think we have the plague. And then when we got to them, it was a steep drop off on one side. It was wide enough to easily pass, uh, you know, oncoming traffic. But I kid you not, as we were walking on the outside edge in order to give those folks the inside edge, there were four or five of them, 
they were literally stumbling, leaning against the side of the hill, trying to keep from getting close to us. As I was thinking about this message tonight, I said, you know, that's the way we need to be with bitterness. Avoid it like the plague. Bitterness has been defined as my response to an offense of my personal justice system. This is the way I think I should have been treated. I wasn't treated the way that I think. By the way, if you want to know what a person's society and ethics, their cultural ethic is, don't ask them how they think other people should be treated. Find out how they respond when they're treated. Okay, that'll tell you what their real personal ethic is. But listen, when you and I live according to our justice system, the potential for us to become bitter is very high. Because our justice system is different than God's justice system. And it's important for us to be surrendered to His sovereignty, His goodness, His plan. And so let us avoid it. It is so bad, the plague of bitterness. Why? As I think about Naomi, I think about several reasons why we should avoid bitterness like the plague. As I look at verse number 6 again, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard, where was she? She had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Do you know what I think about when a person becomes bitter, when they make choices that lead to bitterness? In Naomi's case, it was going to the land of Moab instead of staying in the land of Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. They went to sojourn there. They continued there, verse 2. They dwelled there, verse 3. And before they knew it, more than a decade had passed. Her husband had died in the chastisement of God. Her two sons had died in the chastisement of God. Bitterness had set in. And from Moab, she hears that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. The famine had ended. According to the Old Testament economy, the reason the famine had ended is because God's people had gotten right with him. And yet the thing that I see about Naomi when she let bitterness get a hold in her life is she missed out on seeing and experiencing what God was doing. She missed out on it. She was 60 miles away in the land of Moab. She didn't get to be there firsthand and see the miracle of God's people getting right. She didn't get to see the miracle of the rains coming again after the famine. She didn't get to see that. She missed out on it. She missed out on what God was doing in other places and in the lives of other people. And worse yet, this is the one that got me as I meditated on this passage this afternoon. Notice what she says in verse number 8 when she tries to send her two daughters-in-law back to Moab. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with who? With you. Verse number 9, The Lord grant who? You. But as you, as you study out in the passage, Naomi's perspective of her own relationship with the Lord, she'll say down in verse number 13, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She'll say in verse number 17, or pardon me, verse number uh, 21, I went out full, the Lord brought me home again empty. The Lord hath testified against me. 
While it's true that the chastening hand of God was at work in her life, she is bitterly blaming God for what she's suffered rather than taking account of her own failures. And so she not only because of bitterness missed out on what God was doing in other places and in other people's life, she was perfectly willing to say to Ruth and Orpah, the Lord deal kindly with you. The word kindly is the Hebrew word chesed, which speaks of God's covenant mercy, his loving kindness. The Lord show his grace and mercy in your life, but her mindset seemed to be this, God's done with me, I'm finished. He's done with me. I'm done with him. Folks, one of the most terrible things about bitterness is that it causes us to miss out on all that God is doing. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. I want to see and rejoice in what he's doing in other places. Aren't you glad there are 7,000 who've not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his image? And there might be times that there are greater works, if you would, taking place in other places. But when we're bitter, we're resentful about something, we miss out on what God's doing in other places and other people's lives. I'll be careful in saying this because I know that this is not the general tenor of this church. But I think sometimes the worst enemy of a new believer is an old believer. You'll get over that excitement. Hang around me long enough and I'll teach you realism. You say, Pastor, you're being sarcastic. I know, Paul was a little sarcastic too, okay? So bear with me. Do you know what my heart is tonight? I don't want you to miss out. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. Okay. And Naomi was missing out on what God was doing. Now, the, the theme of this study in Ruth and the theme of this book is look what grace can do. And praise God for his grace that even after 10 years of persistent carnality in Naomi's life with all the consequences that left her bitter and resentful and saying, God's done with me and I'm done with him. And missing out on what God had done, praise God for his grace, the grace of restoration when she repented. And in less than a year, he not only reversed, but abounded towards her brought her out of a pit that she had been 10 years at least digging. Man, you study the chronology beginning with their return at the beginning of barley harvest all the way through to the harvest at the end of the wheat harvest. It was less than a year, less than a year from the time that she returned home bitter but then was immersed in the grace of God and would be holding little Obed in her lap as a token of the grace of God. Less than a year. And so let's avoid bitterness like the plague so we don't miss out on what God's doing. Secondly, we need to avoid bitterness like the plague because when we give in to bitterness, we let the roots of it, as the author of Hebrews said, Hebrews chapter 12, spring up and splatter, defile many. We think we've chopped it off and then it comes back up and, boy, it feels good to be bitter. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I'm a fallen human. We've said this before. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the person you're angry at. Bitterness does not hurt the vessel upon which it is poured, but the vessel 
in which it is stored. And so bitterness misses what God can do, and or what He is doing, especially He's looking to the past and what's taking place right now. But I notice, too, another aspect of this bitterness is I look at the life of Naomi in her bitter situation, this bitter chapter in her life. Bitterness also minimizes what God can do as far as what I see He can do. Notice verse number 9, "...the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? And then she's referring to the Leviric law of the Levites, that if a brother died and left a widow behind, then another brother was to marry that widow, an unmarried brother was to marry that widow and raise up seed to the deceased brother. And we'll see that take place when she meets Boaz. But notice how her thinking is limited, how Naomi's thinking is limited. Turn again, my daughters, verse 12. Go your way, for I am too old to have... A, pardon me, let me go back to verse 11. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She's looking at this at a very horizontal level. Okay, the provision that you need in husbands... And just looking at it from the normal way of doing things, there's no way this is going to happen. You both married the two sons that I had, and according to the law, according to the, can I say this, the box? Okay. According to the box, there's no way you're going to get any more sons from me. If I had a husband tonight and had two sons, would you tarry for them until they were old? She says, notice if you would, let's hear verse 12. Turn again, my daughters, uh, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they have grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, we have the wonderful benefit of hindsight. Okay, we can look back. And we want to step into the story and say to Naomi, Naomi, there are other ways God can take care of this. Okay. But bitterness limits our view. It minimizes what God can do, what we believe he can do. The other night on the way home, we were chatting as a family, and I was reminded of Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 and 14. I think I quoted it in a message here recently, too. I had fainted. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God's not a genie. We don't just rub a lamp and he pops out. If that's the way it worked, who would be God? Okay. And so what does David say in verse number 14? Wait on the Lord. I say, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But I had fainted unless I had believed to see. This is a faith proposition. But let me tell you, one of the things that blinds our eyes to be able to see by faith the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living is bitterness. Unforgiveness minimizes what we believe God can do. And here, she's got this little box. She's saying, this is impossible. When it comes to what you girls need, this is impossible. But I want you to notice a third consequence of bitterness this may, in a sense, be the saddest of all of them. 
And it should cause us to avoid bitterness like the plague. And that is this. Bitterness in the life of the believer maligns and misrepresents God in the eyes of other people. It maligns and it misrepresents God. Do you see what she does with Orpah? She drives Orpah, because of her bitterness and her faithlessness, she drives Orpah back to Moab. And she has this fanciful view of it, that she's actually going to find rest in an idolatrous, baby-killing society. That she's going to find rest in the house of a husband where everybody's required to worship Chemosh, to whom the Moabites would offer in burnt sacrifice their babies. And she knows what she's doing. Notice verse number 15, And she said, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, She said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and unto who? Her gods. Bitterness, bitterness drives away Orpah because it has maligned and misrepresented God. Now, one of the things I love about Ruth, if, if, if you look at Naomi's perspective of God, what kind of view of God are you going to have? Vindictive, he afflicts. You think about the terms that are used. He brings you home empty. We'll talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks. She said, I went out full. Then why'd you leave? I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Wait a minute, who's this standing next to you? This is Ruth who before it's over with, the ladies of Bethlehem are going to say, she's better to you than seven sons. Bitterness maligns and misrepresents God. And the, the view of God and the reflection of God that Naomi had drove Orpah back to Moab. And I would say this, it threw difficulties down in Ruth's path. Now, we admire Ruth because the Bible tells us that she was steadfastly minded and gave one of the greatest confessions of love and loyalty in all the Bible. Entreat me not to leave thee, verse 16, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be married. Buried The Lord, yeah, she would be married too. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. I can just see Naomi going, okay. You see that? Now here's the amazing thing about our God. Is even when you have a Naomi who through her bitterness and her harshness and the reflection of God that she gives is one that is not true and accurate completely. Our God is so amazing 
that the reality of who he is shines through even a poor reflection in Naomi and Ruth is still drawn. Now that is definitely obviously no excuse for tolerating bitterness in our lives, but bitterness maligns and misrepresents God. Boy, we could think about the applications of that. But I want you to notice fourthly and finally, she comes home. So they too went, verse 19, they too went till they came to Bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? It's interesting, apparently the bitterness and the time away, it wasn't just the time away and the aging that it affected her appearance. She was recognizable, but something had changed in her appearance. Let me just remind us that our countenances are a reflection of our heart. Our words are the pressure release valve of our heart. Is this Naomi? How does she respond? Verse 20, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, pleasantness, but call me Mara, bitterness. For the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? And I just say another reason, a fourth and final reason, we should avoid bitterness like the plague. Put your mask on, cut as wide a swath around it as you can, get away from it. Why? Because bitterness mars our relationship with other people's other people. Can I just ask a question? This is not an accusation. This is a question. If there is a trail of fractured, broken, strained relationships behind a believer, I believe they do well to ask themselves if a root of bitterness has a good hold in their life. there's a trail of fractured, broken, strained relationships. Now, I'm glad that the story doesn't end there. And all God's people said, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. Verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, And they came to Bethlehem. Would you finish the verse with me? In the beginning of barley harvest. What was it that prompted Naomi to get up and say, I'm going home? She had heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Do you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. That it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. A change of mind. Okay, and she's in the process of having her mind changed. But there are feet, if you would, that are the fruit of repentance. And she gets up and begins to head home. And in the providence of God, the providence of God, she comes home at the beginning, not just the beginning of harvest, but the beginning of barley harvest. And there are two harvests in the Mideast. The early harvest is barley, and then there's a break, and then there's the wheat harvest. She is, by the grace of God, 
in her repentance and return, even as she is wrestling through getting right over this bitterness, in the providence and the grace of God, she has brought home at the best time possible for her being a destitute widow. I have written in my notes, but God, but God. One of the things that strikes me about this passage is that God didn't give up on Naomi. He didn't give up. Even when she was done, he wasn't. And let me tell you something. I'm reminded of the man who came to the uh, attorney David Gibbs years ago and said, I just want to know, is God done with me? How will I know if God's done with me? And he said, you'll be looking him in the face. You'll be looking him in the face. And listen, if you're still here and you're still breathing, God's got a plan for you. Okay. And it definitely doesn't include bitterness. But let me tell you something. His grace is abundant to overcome that sin of bitterness. Let's avoid it like the plague. But God, Bethlehem awaits and come home in barley harvest. Look what grace can do. I was thinking about bitterness. You know, if you ever taste something bitter, you get a mouthful of it. Do you sit there and swash it around in your mouth and say, hmm, I want to get the full effect of that. Years ago, Jesse and I had a college dorm mate, and I had a cold. And my dad found somewhere, I think you can actually still get this stuff. It is a cough medicine called Buckley's Mixture. If it's still around, somebody should make a law outlawing that stuff. Okay, I don't remember the ingredients. It had pine needle oil in it, and I think it had a bunch of cayenne pepper and other stuff. Probably some stuff that some of you'd say, now that's really good, Pastor. That'll really open things up, you know. It was the most terrible tasting stuff. It tasted like Vicks Vapor Rub smells. Okay, if you can, if you've ever used Vicks Vapor, I mean, bitter and powerful, that nasty, bitter menthol smell. And anyway, it was terrible. If, if it didn't kill what you had, it would kill you. <laughs> and it was made by some lumberjacks up in Canada years ago. I can just see it over this black cauldron. Bloop, 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 as they're boiling this stuff, thinking, yeah, this will fix somebody. Okay. I'll never forget. I was standing here describing this stuff to some guys in the dorm. And, and a guy... He snatched, he just reached out on a joke, snatched the open bottle of that nasty stuff out of my hand and goes, and tilted it up like that and took a big old swig of that nasty cough medicine and then handed it back to me with this look like, what are you going to do? And then it hit him. (laughs) And I'll never forget his response. A look of terror, a look of embarrassment and shame came across his face, and he made a beeline to the bathroom. We, for full kicks, followed him into the bathroom and watched him as he cranked the sink on, and he was spitting and then drinking water and diluting and spitting it out, getting as much water as he could because of how nasty that stuff is. When you tolerate bitterness in your life, it is like taking a big old drag of nastiness like that holding it in there and the best way to get rid of it is to just get mouthful after mouthful of the grace of Jesus Christ to just clean that stuff out of your life clean it out okay avoid bitterness like the plague father
Thank you. For your word tonight. And Lord, I'm just trusting that you'll meet needs, that you'll deal in our lives. I'm grateful to you, Father, for the grace of God, the grace that teaches us that we need to avoid bitterness like the plague. And Lord, as we conclude the service tonight, I pray that individual believers would just do an evaluation of their heart, make sure that there's no little sprig of bitterness that's sprung back up. Some past wrong, some offense of their justice system. And Lord, that we would avail ourselves of the grace of God. I think about the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter number 12 who makes that inseparable connection between the presence of bitterness in a person's life and the fact that they failed of the grace of God. And and the opposite of that is true and that is this. When we avail ourselves of the grace of God, bitterness cannot, cannot, cannot get a hold in our lives. To help us to just saturate ourselves in the cleansing work of the grace of God. The cleansing abundance of it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.